my English is not too good, so I hope the people listening to the podcast don't think you have a problem there, right? <laughs> You are listening to the official podcast of the Horrible Imaginings Film Festival, where we brought an analysis of stigmatized creative expression in film, art, and literature to understand the misunderstood. Your host is Miguel Rodriguez. Hello, listeners of the Horrible Imaginings podcast, the official podcast of the Horrible Imaginings Film Festival. Thank you for tuning in right after the end of our 2015 year. What a successful year it was at MOPA. I plan on doing a bit of a wrap-up podcast episode very soon. But first, I wanted to get the podcast edition of the Mexican Horror Panel, which we had on Friday night with our guests Mauricio Chernovetsky, Aaron Soto, and Gigi Saul Guerrero. Uh, we had a really excellent panel. We didn't talk about a lot of the stuff that I had planned, but it was great because we had impromptu ghost storytelling session and some questions from the audience that really led into what I wanted to talk to anyway. The guests were fantastic. The audience was amazing. And I'm just glad that we got it all on recorder to share it with the world. This was live recorded with a digital audio recording device. The audio is pretty decent, but it tends to fluctuate a little bit as people pass the mic around. That being said, let's go ahead and get started with the podcast version of the Mexican Horror Panel from the 2015 Horrible Imaginings Film Festival. panel now we get to learn yay i have two microphones because we're gonna make a podcast episode of this panel let's get some filmmakers up here i think we'll start with mauricio ternovetsky who directed los gatos come on down there are chairs and they're comfortable uh let's get to because his name begins a we'll do aron soto come on down you know, come on, give it a, give a, like an eye of the tiger kind of walk. Woo! A two-time alumnus of Horrible Imagining Film Festival, by the way. I've shown two of his works before. And finally, with two works in the festival this year, we have the director, Gigi Salguerrero. Come on down. Uh, we'll, we'll start a conversation, and hey, we hear you. Hey, Gigi, let's hear you. Hola. Um, yeah, I'm Gigi I'm from Mexico City, but now I live in Vancouver, Canada. And I guess I am most known for extreme Tex-Mex gore in my films. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's me. Um, She's the gore lady. Give her a round, give her a hand. My turn. Huh? My name is Mauricio Chernovetsky. I was also born in Mexico City, and I grew up in San Diego, uh, but I'm living in Los Angeles, and um, 
I've been making films all over the world, including Poland and in, uh, in the border and uh, in Hungary, and now I'm going back to Mexico to make a few films. So I'm excited to be here. My name is uh, Aaron Soto of Aaron Soto. I'm from Tijuana, and I'm a horror filmmaker. I think uh, I want to talk about Mexican horror and how it might be different from other horror and what we have gotten from the cinema of Mexico over the last century because I think it's a little bit different. By the way, Aaron, you're just holding that because you're in the middle, and I think it'll get everybody kind of evenly. I hope I don't fart. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, that's it, we're done, everybody. <laughs> uh, we're going to go down the line. I'll start it off because uh, I'm, I, I'm just nice that way. We're going to um, talk about our own personal history. I think I'm probably the most gringoified of everybody on this panel, but uh, stuck in Baltimore, Maryland my whole life. But uh, we're going to start with intros. I want us to go down the line and talk about uh, our projects that we might be working on right now, why you're here in the festival. We know Mauricio has Dos Gatos, but I want uh, Aaron and Gigi to talk about what we're about to see after the panel. And most importantly, I want each of us to tell a story from our childhood, a scary story wow. that is uniquely Mexicano, and also I think has a family uh, element to it, because I think that's something that is unique to Mexican horror, is there's a big family, uh, family plays an important role in a lot of it. So uh, I'll start though. So my name is Miguel Rodriguez, I am Mexican-American, Mexican in America, which is a little bit scary right now, I might go to Mexico myself, because <laughs> America's freaking me out. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I... Grew up, as many of you know, because a lot of us are friends here and we've built a community now, I came to horror because of my grandmother. And uh, my grandmother used to tell me stories about killers chopping the heads off of babies when I was three years old. <laughs> while, I was, while she was bouncing... It does, doesn't it? Yeah, while she's bouncing me on her knee. Uh, I think this story I want to tell. My father was a Roman Catholic priest before he met my mother. And... Uh, yeah, that explains a lot too, doesn't it? <laughs> and he still had, he still worked for the diocese after he left the, uh, left the, the priesthood. Um, and so we would travel a lot. He, he's, a, he's a bit of a vagabond and he would take us on these trips. And to save money, because he worked for the diocese, which meant we were poor, uh, we would stay in, built in like um, the churches and the buildings owned by the diocese. And a lot of those were in South Texas and Southern California, which were the creepiest places ever. One <laughs> such old mission-style church was in a strange city you may have heard of called San Antonio, Texas. And in the middle of the night, it was three in the morning. And by the way, because of the way it is, there are my whole family, one bed, one room. I have two brothers. And my parents have the bed, and my brothers and I are sleeping on the floor. And at one point, very, very in, in the, the, the middle of the night, I wake up. And there's no door. It's like an open entryway. And I see this, I swear I see this parade going by of robed specters. 
And uh, I went to bed after that and woke up convinced that I had dreamed it. But it was it left such an impression on me that I still wonder about it at this at the, to this day. That must have been thirty one years ago. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, and it was it was a Mexican style church, and we're going to talk about how that's different from an American style church. But uh, that was a very terrifying moment for me. So, Aaron, I bet you have a good one. <laughs> That only happened to Mexicans, right? It only happens to Mexicans. Um, uh, <laughs> um, my English is not too good, so I hope the people listening to the podcast don't think you have a funny one there, right? We're playing tonight Mexico Barbaro, Mexico Barbaro, Mexico Barbarian, or something like that. In um, a horror story, um, I have a... I have a story um, that is really personal to me. Good. My, <laughs> my father died like 10 years ago. He was kind of like, like an asshole. Um, <laughs> and, um, a really macho, macho guy from the, from the Mex- uh, Mexico City. And, but he was the guy who, who led me to, to make movies. He was very uh, uh, educated. And, and he was an artist, artist himself. And uh, there was a, a time in my life that I, that I had uh, these horrible nightmares. I was like eight years old, having these horrible, but really horrible, horrible nightmares. And, uh, and I never remember, the next day I never remember. The, my mom asked me, asked, asked me, do you remember? You ran to the streets uh, dreaming. Do you remember you cry uh, all night? Do you remember? And I said, no, no, I don't, no me acuerdo, I don't remember. And, uh, but I was really afraid to go to sleep because I was having these weird nightmares. I was really thinking that I was possessed. Like, oh, maybe I'm, the devil is possessing me, I don't know. And, uh, La Virgen Maria. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, the story is personal because my dad came to me uh, one night and uh, he said, I'm going to cure you. Tonight I'm going to cure you. And uh, uh, he started guiding me in dreams. He's sitting in my bed. He told me, close your eyes. And he told me, take me to the places where the monsters are. So I started, started to imagine this monster universe that I was really afraid and he told me, go, go to this place and meet the monsters and talk to them. So I went to this place, and, and this, is, this is real. I mean, I, I was with my eyes closed, and I, and I meet the monsters. They came to me. So I said, please stop giving me nightmares. And, and it really works. I, I stopped having nightmares that day. But the funny thing about this story is that when I finally meet uh, Guillermo del Toro, the best filmmaker ever in history, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> we worked like for, for a year in, in a script and he was going to produce me, blah, blah, blah. But I told him this story and he told me that he had a very similar experience in Mexico City and that he made a deal with the monsters to make, to make movies so they stopped bugging him. Bugging, that's a bugging, word. Yeah. Bugging. 
I just throw it out there. Maybe it works. <laughs> and uh, so that's my, my story that, uh, you know, the, the cliche is true. Mexico, Mexico is really a violent country, but it's a really peaceful country and it's, it's a chaotic country, but it's really magical. And sometimes there's stuff that happens to you that, that you cannot uh, understand. So that's my story. All right, it's a great story. So I'm from Mexico City, like Gigi, and I think I'm just trying to figure out what, what story is to tell that is connected to my family, connected to horror, connected to my trajectory as a filmmaker. By the way, his parents are sitting right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that the story that comes to mind is actually when I was eight years old and I was living in Mexico City and I was very happy there. And then one day I was told that I was going to be going to another country. And just the whole confusion around moving and the transition and the, 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 the unknown. Uh, I remember the night that we moved, we went from uh, Mexicali to crossing the border. And it was night and I'm a kid and I'm coming crossing the border and I remember just the anxiety of moving to another country and um, at some point I fell asleep and then I woke up and it was it was night and I woke up in a different bed in a different house and I just remember the way it felt you know the way the light was coming in through the windows uh, I walked into one room one room there was light underneath uh, the threshold of the door and I just was wondering what I, I thought I heard whispers you know things like that and then I went into a bathroom and I was staring at the mirror and I just remember that that moment for me I think really encapsulates uh, and I, I feel like I keep wanting to go back to that those kinds of moments when I make films not, not so much those gatos because that's a very different kind of film that I you know that was more of an exercise but the atmosphere the mystery uh, of this kind of uh, being in a place where you're not quite sure, you know, where you, whether you belong, and the anxieties around going from one world to another, or one place to another, I've always like uh, come through in my films. And uh, yeah, I just remember. And of course, if you take it into account, I mean, I was very privileged. And my, my trip was very, you know, we went by with a car. You know, it wasn't like the real horror of people crossing the border every day. You know, in the desert. And, and with their lives threatened. But uh, as a child, the experience of disorientation and even just the aesthetic kind of confusion was both extremely um, disturbing, but also very beautiful in a weird way because you're kind of slowly familiarizing you, uh, yourself with another world. So, GG. Terrifying. Okay. <laughs> um, as you asked before, what, what films I have here, I am in the same anthology as Aaron, Mexico Bárbaro. And I have, uh, and I have my uh, short film tomorrow, El Gigante, which is lucha libre and a lot of gore. So, if you're into that, come back tomorrow. Oh, gracias, thank you. Um, but yeah, no, I'm actually going to take this opportunity to share a story that I've only shared it with a big audience only once before. Um, oh, I'm already shaking because it's terrifying. <laughs> Um, but there's a reason why I have not yet made films with any supernatural, demonic, exorcisms, anything of that type. Because oh, that's usually very Mexican. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, because it truly, truly freaking scares me, that stuff. I don't want to 
F around with that because I fear that I will go home and something's going to haunt me. I don't know. But um, believe it, I, I will skip the story. I will make it super short. <laughs> I will skip many creepy stories in between. I will just tell you the Fire scariest stuff. The <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go for drinks later. Um, yeah, no, my mom and my uncle, her brother, they used to lie to my grandma uh, that they were going to an after-school film program, uh, sorry, music program, uh, when they were young teenagers, when really they were going to a cult following deep, deep in the city of Mexico. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's really freaking weird. Um, so that's what they were doing, and both my mom and my uncle, they would take advantage of their so-called powers that their teacher at their secondary school said that they had and she was the this teacher she was the leader of this following and she felt this thing from my mom who apparently had medium powers and from my uncle who could you know when he goes to sleep his soul can get out of his body and travel and see other things happening I don't know I can't remember the name of it in English Dreamwalking. Dreamwalking, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so my mom and my uncle loved what they could do. They started fucking around with that shit a lot. Um, that, long story short, they started getting a lot of bad, bad um, energy following them to the point where they couldn't go to this following, to this group anymore, to the point where they, my mom ended up seeing this crazy gypsy lady deep, deep in downtown Mexico City, somewhere underground, where she had to get help as to what to do to get all this to go away. She had to put, like, charcoal or something like that by the window, white flowers in a certain place. She had to do everything possible for these stuff to stop happening. And this gypsy lady actually told her that one of your children is going to experience this stuff when she has your age, which is... <laughs> <laughs> I told you re the, the story really fast but uh, funny enough when she started doing all this and she was pregnant with my older sister who's quite a bit older than me seven years older um, all this stuff started going away it was a lot better my uncle stopped doing what he said he could do and of course my dad was like yeah you're crazy but I still love you that's what he would tell my mom all the time and when I was born um I don't recall any of this at all, but when I was born and I was starting to able to, to learn how to, how to talk, I would always look in the mirror and pull my face and I would say out loud, screaming, really angry with a really mature attitude saying, this is not my face. And my mom was like, what the? <laughs> right? Like my mom was like, and I would pull my face. Apparently, my sister was, was like, I don't want a sister anymore. Like, no, thank you. I don't want this gremlin around me. And I would, like, pull my face, and I'd be like, this is not my face. This is not my face. And I would look at paintings and weird structures and say, that's wrong. That should not be there. And I would say things that a little kid should not say. Um, until one point, uh, when I was a little bit older, maybe four just before kindergarten, I asked my mom really, really serious. I was like, what number mom are you? Like, super straight face. And my mom was like, um, I am the last one you're going to have. And apparently from that moment, 
I switched like that and I became a kid and it was like none of that ever happened my mom always is terrified to tell me this and same with my sister <laughs> um, but apparently that happened and skipping all the craziness that happened in between the scariest moment for me where I really believed in this stuff I'll call it um, when we moved to Canada when I left Mexico City um, when we moved to Canada, we started renovating our new house, and a lot of creepy shit started happening, a lot of really scary stuff, but kind of stuff that my sister and I and my dad would kind of think, ah, it's just the electricity here, we would find kind of ways that maybe, nah, it's nothing, but we could tell that my mom was really scared, my mom was not handling this very well, until I started, and I turned 14, the, the age that apparently my mom was really afraid of. Scary shit started happening. When everything started really going wrong um, to the point where my mom was terrified, my mom was hiding from us this giant-ass ancient-looking candle that looked like from some Tim Burton movie <laughs> in, in, in her closet, and she took it out that night. She said, "We, I need to use this. We're like, where'd you get that? I was like, whoa, what kind of like Spencer store you get that from? Like, I was like, whoa, like, that's, that looks awesome kind of movies that from and what she did she put the candle on this big white plate and she put like flowers and shit my dad just thought she was crazy my dad refuses to believe in any of this and my sister and I just thought it was kind of funny my mom's doing all this until so that night uh, but I was kind of believing it because I was seeing certain things I, I was experiencing cer certain things that I shouldn't have been experiencing so I was eh, a little scared but like I wasn't really into this stuff very much, but that night, um, oh, I'm shaking, um, that night, when we all went to bed, and my mom put this shrine thing with that candle on there, and she said some random prayers I couldn't even understand, we all went to bed, and we started hearing plates breaking, stuff breaking in the pantry, in the kitchen, and my dad, like a true Mexican man, came out with a bat, and he was ready to beat up whoever broke in the house. And the way the house was, which was super terrifying, was one long floor. There was no stairs. It was just one long-ass floor with zigzags all over the house that we all met up in the middle when we heard all this noise. And, of course, my dad with the bat, we all go to the kitchen, and there's nothing broken, absolutely nothing broken at all. And the only thing that was left was just maybe an inch and a half, an inch of the candle still lit, and the entire white plate was black and broken. I was like, whoa, whoa. So my mom freaked out, pushed us all away, opened the, the, uh, the garden door to the, to the backyard, grabbed the plate and threw it out. And I shit you not, I will never forget this. She threw it out, and the moment it went out, it just like, just like burned into flames for at least a second or two. It, I could not believe what I saw. I could not believe my eyes I was like what the fuck and my mom was like saying these things I could not understand like Latin I think and the thing was gone it just like disintegrated just right in front of us and my dad was like <laughs> just gonna go back there <laughs> and my sister and I were I, I still can't even describe what I saw that day like I, 
it was like that moment where I said, oh my God, I believe in this. I, I'm a true believer in this stuff. I tried to not believe the, the scary things I saw or that I thought I heard or when things somewhat moved. I would never, I refused to believe in it until that day when I saw that. And the rest is history, but Gigi, thank I can't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I swear, I'm really nice. <laughs> 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 I don't remember any of the earlier stuff, but yeah, that's my story. <laughs> A lot of people roll their eyes when they hear this, but. I don't think anyone here is rolling their eyes. I hope not. I think they're checking We're the We're all short, too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I can see a couple of you like <laughs> It's all the gringos. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we can't go very far about talking about Mexican horror without talking about the role of Catholicism and how it plays in Mexican horror. Uh, Beth and I talk about this a lot, Beth being of, of Italian heritage and Catholicism is, is big there too and the same kind of things arise. I want us to talk a little bit about your experience with Catholicism in Mexico, the Gothic imagery that is inherent in Mexican Catholic iconography. And I want us to compare it to things that you'll see in the States and whether or not you think that's kind of different. <laughs> Mauricio, you look like you want to attack Well, I've got the microphone. Yeah. Well, in my case, I wasn't raised Catholic, so I didn't have that experience at home. All right, get off stage. <laughs> However, I experienced it all the time around me you know, as a kid, and um, I think what, what, what is true, and you mentioned it, Aaron, is that um, me Mexican culture, and just for some reason it's, it's more than the, the culture, it feels like the minute you cross over to the other side, uh, you do feel like you're entering in a ma into a magical reality at times. Something just doesn't feel nearly as rational as, uh, as how things feel here, or cold, cold or calculated. And I think for me, the Catholic element has seeped in in the sense that I've always been, I mean, it's so much more Baroque and, a lot, and, and just people's imaginations are a lot more medieval in some ways. Um, and I've always been fascinated by, by those things. And uh, I, went on, I went on to study mythology and, and religion and I was always fascinated by the way those things, kind of the, the human imagination and the way it connects to the way we weave myths around us and the way we explain the world. And, um, it completely, completely seeps through everything in Mexico. And of course for me, even because it's so exotic, it always felt like, you know, it's, it, even now, when, remember we were in Coyacan about two years ago, yes. and we went into the cathedral, and I, you, know, you know, there's a rotting you know, saint there, and for me it's very strange and exotic, you know, but it's also, it's, it's just this dark kind of, it's, it's fascinating in a way. You just don't even know how a world like that can exist, and yet it completely coexists with everything in, in the culture, and uh, it, it's fascinating. It's something that we don't really have here, because, right, as I said here, everything feels a lot more calculated, and, uh, and kind of the mystery of things is a little bit removed. So. Yeah, no, I think also just the imagery itself is just, for even in the Mexican culture, what strikes me is the imagery so raw and so gritty. Um, like, for example, I've always been a fan of just the imagery of Santa Muerte, which is basically, in very short terms, it looks like Virgin Mary, but as a skeleton instead. Um, I remember ever since a kid, that would just, I was obsessed with it. I, it just struck me so much. I finally made a film about it not long ago, but... Um, yeah, I think you explained it perfectly, but yeah. Um, Aaron, I'm going to ask you about uh, uh, Alucarda. 
Okay. I got it. I'm okay. recording you. Uh, following on about Catholicism, are there influences older than that in Mexico that feed into your filmmaking? I'm, I'm thinking of places I've been like Teotihuacan and uh, you know the, old, the older cultural stuff. You want to comment on that? She wants to talk about are there older Mexican influences that you find influence your filmmaking like um, old pagan or maybe like uh, old Aztec. Oh, yeah, going back before <laughs> before before Catholicism. See, well, you know, I'm not an expert. <laughs> I'm gonna make movies, but one thing that happened to me when I did my first short film, I did this short film called Omega Chair like four years ago, which we showed a couple of years ago. Thanks, thanks, thanks. <laughs> and uh, Beta Commander is right here. She's the one who started my career right here at the MOFA. So thank you, Beth. From the bottom of my heart. And uh, she's the one who asked me, why you make this uh, crazy religious movie? And I went like, what? I didn't make a religious movie. And she told me, you have 12 giant crosses in the desert. <laughs> And I was like, I do have 12 giant crosses in the desert. So I knew I was, I was so influenced by, by the tradition and, and the beliefs of, of, uh, of my family. And till this day, I don't know why I made that short. <laughs> I'm really grateful to that short. But of course, there's a big influence on pagan, pagan influence. I hope so. <laughs> the only thing I can tell you, to be honest, is that uh, I grew up in, in when Tijuana was um, starting, the beginning of Tijuana. So you think Tijuana is crazy right now? Back then it was like the old west. <laughs> and so my, my playground was empty lots. You know, my playground was uh, abandoned cemeteries. So it was kind of like living in this uh, third world gothic scenario. And that was an uh, influence to me, all these... Um, Symbols, if you want to call them that, but um, but I don't know much. Just that I just do what I what I what I do. But I hope I can tell you more. But you want to know? I think the expert right here in history is Gigi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I was gonna ask Gigi or Mauricio if you have uh, something. For me, I think um, I do. I do think about uh, stories like, like La Llorona and. Uh, when I was studying mythology, I think I thought it was really fascinating the way folk stories go back to so deeply into history. And you know, you have indigenous myths that are related to La Llorona. You have, uh, you know, Russian myths. You have Greek myths, and they're all kind of uh, interconnected, you know, archetypally. But the specificities of each each place are very interesting. And so, when I think about La Llorona or even the the representations of La Llorona. Uh, her image has influenced uh, me, and she, it influenced me in my thesis film, Cassandra, several years ago, and I'm sure it'll go continue to influence, influence me as I go back to Mexico to make films. So. And there is a classic Mexican horror film called La Llorona as well, as well as Santo versus <laughs> Contra La Llorona. So, I mean, the Mexican, I wanted, really wanted to talk about mask yeah. but we don't have time. I want to do it. Open it. Oh, oh, well, Matt was first, and then Jose. And then, all right. Uh, unfortunately, I'm gonna have to cut it off at these three. Unfortunately, because we want to see we want to see Mexico Barbaro, right? Yeah. So. I think you gave me the wrong microphone. Oh, I gave him the wrong mic. But hey, I need this man. Well, lucky for you, because I also want to talk about mass wrestlers. Uh, my question is for Gigi. <laughs> I'm very excited for El Gigante. 
uh, and dark themes have always been kind of present in wrestling, and wrestling's always been really big in Mexico. Did you just want to marry the two because it's always been so represented in uh, in wrestling? Did you finally just want to represent wrestling in horror, or what was your influence, and what can you tell us about the full length? And before you answer, I, I just want to clarify for people, her short tomorrow is called El Gigante, and it is a luchador horror film. Um, well, actually, to kind of Robert Rodriguez kind of influences, very Tex-Mex kind of stuff. And I actually have always had to kind of go back to my roots and, and see kind of where I came from, and I had never wanted to lose that. And, yes, my dad, he would always take me to Lucha Libre. It was like the one place I was allowed to swear when I was a little girl. <laughs> no, it's for real, for real. Like, as like a seven-year-old girl, I was like, ¡Quién a tu madre! Like, <laughs> the wrestlers, and my dad's like... <laughs> like to me, and so I, I just love what I love about Lucha Libre. I just always really loved the thrill and like the, just the, the like. It's almost hard to explain the difference between Lucha Libre and regular wrestling. There's just this like emotion, this like tradition, this like interconnection with the luchadores when you're there, and you just see families carrying their babies, going like. Like, I just like breastfeeding the kid. Like, there's just, it's like a whole different world. And sorry about that. Um, no, no. And so I always had this obsession. And as a little girl, I love watching Santa movies in black and white. Like, my sister would be watching the musicals with Pedro Infante that were just so beautiful. And I was like, El Santo. And I was like, always freaking out and about El Santo. And then when I went into film school and I started getting to horror. And then I read the Gigante book. I was like, oh, my God, God is speaking to me right now. <laughs> I was like, I, I have to do this. It's just the two things I love. It, it, there's almost no other explanation to, to say it, but it was just me wanting to just put together two things that I'm literally obsessed with. And El Gigante feature soon. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> What's that? Oh, you'll have to wait. You'll have to see tomorrow. Not as soon. By the way, I mean, uh, Santo's like Jackie Chan. Santo is like, he's. Well, he's more like Bruce Lee. I mean, like huge international star. It's, it's and no one even sees his face. It's incredible. Jose. So my question is uh, uh, regarding the evolution of, of Mexican horror cinema, uh, because uh, uh, it's different than, you know, American horror cinema, how it evolved. In Mexico, it always had this very, uh, uh, I don't know how to call them, like weird undertones of other things that were part of the culture as well. But, you know, we talk about, you know, the Lucha Libre films and horror films, they were like, you know, they, were, they went hand in hand for so many years. But then, like, when that, that started kind of dying in the 60s, 70s, like, the 80s had this weird era of, of horror in Mexico. That's very kind of, like, underground. It's, it's like, no, no. This is all Aaron. Yeah, yeah. So, I would like to yeah, hear your... Yeah, what's doing him? History. Awesome. Um, yeah, a lot of people don't know that uh, horror wasn't there in Mexico uh, during the 80s. I mean, Mexico had, like, a golden age of cinema with Pedro Infante and all that people. And, uh, you know, I, 
I mean, I'm not being uh, disrespectful. Uh, but what happened uh, during the 80s is very important because um, the government closed down all the productions from independent filmmakers, filmmakers who come from film school and, and with personal stories. So the government say, you're making a movie, you're making a movie, you're making a movie, and those are personal movies. You know what? We don't give it. We don't care. We're going to close your movie. So they took these movies and put them on, on, on shelves. Meanwhile, in the other hand, the private sector, they find a loop, a loophole to make movies, uh, commercial movies. And they start to make these uh, similar to, to American exploitation movies. Not our movies, not uh, personal movies. People who, some of the people didn't even know how to make a movie. But something happened and something something um, clicked. These people are starting to create a new industry with new jobs, uh, with a new system, with a new star system, with new producers. And they started to make something that was really important back then, but nobody cared. Like, like people who wanted to see the movie, they went to see it, but they didn't have any respect. So this circuit that you're talking about, it was the only circuit that was doing genre films. They were doing sci-fi, horror, fantasy, all these type of movies. They were doing movies like El Santo movies, but for a new generation. And uh, that's the kind of movies that uh, Robert Rodriguez wanted to make. When he made El Mariachi, he made a video home movie. This circuit was called El Video Home. <laughs> so Robert Rodriguez did El Video Home. He did one video home, and he wanted to sell it to this circuit. But he got an agent in L.A., so then he became this Hollywood guy. But the video home circuit is, um, is very forgotten, but it's very important. There's a lot of important uh, themes, topics, and uh, uh, people coming from the video home, not only Robert Rodriguez, Rodrigo Prieto, the, the director of photography from Frida and Eight Mike, he's a genius, he came from the video home. Um, and uh, now he's getting more respect. You know, now, today, because horror is trendy, horror is trendy in, in Mexico. You know, 10 years ago, if you, if you say in Mexico, I wanted to make a horror movie, you will get beat up. <laughs> For real. I mean, I mean, it was really hard to be a, a horror filmmaker in Mexico, a horror fan in Mexico. You went to the video stores and you wanted to, to rent a Lucio Fulci movie, like an Italian zombie gore film. And people didn't want to talk to me. I lost all my friends. And this is true. <laughs> it's true. So when I came to San Diego to study in South San Diego, South Western College, yeah. Uh, that's when I meet people who was like me. I was like, oh my God, where is these people all my life? But, uh, but try, to, try to watch uh, video home films. These are the, the, the movies that influenced Robert Rodriguez, uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino, a lot of people, uh, even Guillermo del Toro, uh, love video homes. And, and I think that answers your question. Maybe. I want to point out before we have the last question of the night that I interviewed Aaron about exploitation cinema on the podcast. And part of the website address, this was like two years ago. You don't even remember. Yeah, yeah. Man, all the drugs, man. But uh, we did a whole list of must-see of the video home films and some of the classic Mexican horror films. So if you want a complete list, it's on my website. You can email me and I'll send you the list. But last question. Yeah. Well, uh, 
I got, I got first got first got a comment and then I got a question. Um, this was from Mauricio, and I really liked those gatos because I really felt like I related to it. Cause I got an uncle and he's he's like a head chef at Old Town Mexican Cafe, right? So like the restaurant, it just looked like oh shit, I've been there, right? <laughs> and and the way the the actor, I forgot his name, but like if you if you see him, tell him I like him, but. I, I, the way he acted, I'm like, I feel like I know this guy. Like, I feel like I've seen him at parties and stuff. And he called the other guy Chewy, and I'm like, that's so Mexican. That's, that's Mexican, right there. Oh, it feels so Mexican. I also like, um, and this, this comment is not Mexican related, but I also like that you didn't show us what was, like, chasing the guy. And I really like that. That just makes it more scary, because I just lose it to our imagination. And I feel like some other movies don't do that anymore. Like, it shows what the monster looks like, and I'm like, oh, that's what it looks like? That's kind of dull, right? <laughs> and anyway, so, like, enough. Um, Thank you. You're, you're welcome. I love you. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> next, the question is for uh, Gigi. And um, when are you going to make movies about all that crazy shit that happened to you? Like, <laughs> they, you got, a, like, a saga right there. It goes, like, way back before you were even born. God damn. <laughs> do movies about yourself and then do prequel movies about your mom and your brothers and your brothers like set up right there I, I have it all written down baby it's Perfect. all written down for one day for, for one day paranormal activity down. doesn't even know how to like, yeah I, I actually I considered it. I totally considered. It. I told my team, uh, Luchador Productions, that I I told them I was like, guys, if we ever want to make something not so gory and make something more of this kind, I got stories. I got laughs. Oh, yeah, and and so one day, uh, one day, <laughs> I've uh, definitely yeah, considered it. I, I want to really want to check it out. I should give you my business card. You got I'll call yeah. you. I'll, I'll give all you guys my business card. I'm cutting you off, man. Give me your card. No, advice. don't. <laughs> all right. So we gotta take a sm- uh, we're going to take a very short break so you can go to the restroom because I want to make sure you don't take a restroom break during Mexico Barbaro, which is next. Our feature film. Our first feature film of the night, Anthology Horror. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you to our panel. And... See you back.